You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends. Welcome to the second episode of The Bookstack. I'm Sydney. I'm Nia. And I'm Annie. Our stack today is a hot button topic that has been an issue for what feels like forever banned books. It's a rather timely issue or topic to bring up because. We're having issues across the country of books being challenged and conservative groups trying to get books pulled off the shelves, despite the 1982 Supreme Court case ruling that no book can be pulled from a school or public library for content. The Office of Intellectual Freedom saw more than 300 reports of books being challenged from just September to December of 2021, as opposed to the 156 challenges in all of 2020. We also have issues of religious leaders instigating book burnings with their congregations, like we just saw in Tennessee. Book burnings are also nothing new. We've seen burnings with the Library of Alexandria, the Conquistadors destroying the Mayan Codices, and of course, during the Holocaust. Not really events that you want to say that you were a part of, but apparently people aren't learning their lesson. Because all of the controversy surrounding these so-called bad books, we thought we'd talk about it today and why these books are valuable. Knowledge is power, and the easiest way to control a people is to control what they can read. Nia, let's go ahead and start with you. What's in your stack today? Uh, Well, my stack has all books that are geared towards younger audiences. Um, I don't have any adult ones in mind this time. Uh, The first one I've got is James and the Giant Peach by Roald Dahl. Um, a lot of us remember that one growing up. We've got that awesome movie Absolutely. from the 90s. Absolutely. Uh, right. I have uh, actually have Centipede tattooed on my arm with the art from the movie because of how I much I love that. it. So um, it has been banned because of references to drugs, alcohol, violence, suspicious behavior. Use of the word ass is also one that's been listed. Uh, racism because of a particular line in the book. Um, promoting communism. That one's always fun because heaven forbid we all work together to achieve something. Um, And uh, the spider licking her lips at one point could be seen as sexual. And so those are all of these different reasons for this kid's book to have been challenged or banned, Um, which is just, the reasons are fascinating to me um, because it's a kid's book. And so a lot of it is going, okay, I feel like you're fishing. I feel like they're fishing too. I feel like, mm-hmm. come on. I feel yeah, like maybe someone point, just didn't like the book and just decided, you know, I don't think anyone else should like this book either. How yeah. dare so people like a book that stuff. I don't like. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I feel like it'd be a lot of fun to play like banned book bingo with some of these reasons of like, oh, which books did you pick that have all of these things? I think it'd be kind of fun for that a horrible topic. Fun. You got to find some fun in there somewhere. That should definitely Um, be a thing. mm -hmm. I have to look into doing that. So I do think that it's a valuable contribution because it shows a lot of imagination and it shows overcoming hardships. I mean, you have James who goes through these horrible things and kids can identify with those nightmarish images of, yeah, maybe, you know, that a rhinoceros didn't actually eat their parents, but they can go through those hard things and see you can find people to help you to get through these things and it will all be okay in the end. Um, so that's where I see that one as being pretty, pretty valuable. Uh, the next one I have on my list is a little bit of a darker topic. It is Speak by Lori House Anderson. Oh, that's such um, a fantastic pick. It is. It's such a good book. Um, it's a hard topic though. Um, Absolutely. 
It's been challenged because of political viewpoint, uh, rape depiction, which, uh, I mean, let's be honest, none of us want to read about that, but a lot of people go through it. So, you know, we, we don't want to completely censor it either. Um, the quote, I have quotes around this one because it was, someone actually put, it is quote, unfair depiction of male students. Um, Wait, what? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it that was challenged ridiculous. because it was it was unfair to the male student who raped the main character. Really? Um, yep. It's often argued to be for older audiences, despite being written from the perspective of um, a freshman, which I think is actually what part of what makes it valuable is it speaks to that age group from that perspective. And it really hit home for me because... Um, when I was in high school, it actually came out, okay, state of Utah, it was one in three women and girls uh, would be raped by the time they were 18. That is a really scary statistic. That and, is horrifying. But imagine right? having a book where you didn't feel alone. Yeah. So or reading that that book is being taken off the shelf because of this thing that happened to you and is also happening in the book. And, and it's unfair to the boys. It. So we'd like, we just, you know, sweep it under the rug, turn right. it off. Right. It doesn't exist. Nope. No. Which, I mean, look at the Me Too movement. Look at what happened with some of the last confirmations for Supreme judges. This is not something that's gone away. It's actually been very brought at the forefront. And so I, that's another thing I really think it brings through. It's a taboo topic that's underreported and it, well, isn't really it something need... like only 10% of rapes ever get reported anyway? That sounds right. I haven't looked, but yeah, it's, it's really, really underreported. And I want to point out too, that's um, women and girls. That's not male. It's even, it's even high. It, then the reporting is even less if it's. Oh it, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it, it is still a thing that happens to, to men. It is not a female yeah. only issue. So, but that's, it's highly underreported. We don't like talking about it. It's an uncomfortable topic, but I think it's something that that's gotta be talked about. Um, and then my third one is, and Tango makes three, which is an adorable picture book. Um, it's probably one of my favorite picture books. Someone tried to ban a picture book. Oh, it happens all the time. Oh, oh yeah. It, oh yeah. Uh, it's about Roy and Silo, two male bonded chinstrap penguins that are in the central park zoo. So this is, it's based on real penguins in a real zoo who were given an egg because what happens with penguins is if they have two eggs, the parents don't, or they don't take care of both. They pick one and in the wild, the other one kind of gets abandoned. Um, but because they were in a zoo, the zookeeper saw that they took this egg and they gave it to this male bonded pair who raised it. They took care of it, they hatched it. And that is where Tango came from, is from this little egg. So it has been repeatedly challenged since it came out because it supports LGBTQIA content. Uh, it is, you know, a lot of people will throw out, quote, it promotes the homosexual agenda, um, which is a phrase we've been hearing since, unfortunately, time immemorial. Um, but that's really the biggest issue is how dare we talk about these penguins? Well, there are real penguins. This actually did happen. Um, you can't say it was completely made up. Um, but it brings a lot of value because it shows family diversity and it shows that that exists in more than just a human context. It's exists in nature in lots of places. Maybe it isn't as 
tab, you know, it's, I hate, I keep using the word taboo, but it, a lot of people claim it's taboo and it's wrong. Well, it appears all over the natural kingdom, right? So having that representation, even if it's a book about penguins, like kids get penguins, look at all of the kids shows, look at Zootopia, right? Kids really identify with the animals and plus they're cute. So I, yeah, but that one's, that one's the third one that I have because people don't like it. Oh, that is, heaven forbid we tell true stories in a way that is understandable to people. Right. Good grief. Well, I, what, what gets me about that one too is that this happens in nature. Like what you said, this is yeah. just, it's like, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around here, does it still make a sound? Yes. Um, and this is probably, you know, two bonded male penguins have probably taken in eggs before. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this has happened before. Shame on us for letting it happen and let it be seen within our world. So, and I want to say, I've heaven read forbid it we, we stop a penguin from being abandoned and never born, right? Right. Oh, we can't have that. I no. want to say that happens in nature too, but I do not 100% remember that. I don't so, know either. I don't know yeah. either. So I if I'm wrong, I will fully own up to that. But uh, as would I. Yeah. <laughs> Mia, yeah. I appreciate that stack. That was a great stack. Thank you. I am going to go into uh, junior high level content. That's where uh, the three that I pulled were from because I taught junior high for nine years before moving into high school. And the three books that I pulled are all books that either are taught in junior high or, or low level high school, like ninth grade level high school that are, it's still junior high instead of middle school. So between eighth and ninth grade, seventh and ninth grade is the, the age realm that I'm focusing on for my stack. Um, because it seems to be that people try to ban books for kids that are usually the coming of age books that kids need when they're coming of age to kind of understand what's happening to them or why they feel different. The first book I picked is Mouse by Art Spiegelman. And he's a survivor of the Holocaust and he tells his stories in a series of two graphic novels. And it's engaging, it's riveting, it's heartrending, and it's an entirely too true story, which just to me makes it all the more powerful. He uses the visual metaphor of the cat and the mouse and all of the characters or animals that kind of make things more relatable and they create these metaphors that are visual as well as just written metaphor. And you have this relatable understanding of the power structures that were taking place during the Holocaust, during the 1940s, and this feeling of helplessness that these people felt throughout the story. And it also tells the story in a genre that engages readers that would not otherwise pick up a book about the Holocaust. There are some people that are never going to see a thick book and be like, yeah, I like big books and I cannot lie. Like, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I'm watching you crack up and I can't hold a straight face. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> But it's true. Like there are some people yeah. that are never going to see a big book and be like, yes, I'm going to read a really sad topic that's completely true. And it's just going to depress me for a minute with, you know, 800 pages and some black and white images. Like they're never going to do that. But you see 
people picking up mouse because it's digestible and it being in a visual medium, it's more impactful for a lot of people than just words on a page. And I think that that is, I think that that, that topic, that genre, that art form being brought together like that is so incredibly powerful and it's unique because no one else has done it. But heaven forbid we tell the story of the Holocaust and make it visual so people can actually see what was happening. I mean, you have Night by Ellie Weissel, where he talks about babies being used as target practice, being thrown up into the air and used as target practice, and and all of these other horrific things. And as soon as we put them in a visual medium, people freak out. That makes it 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 removes that level of distance. Because if you're just reading it in a book, it's, I mean, you, you read it and it kind of comes to lie, but it is not the same as seeing a picture. Oh, hundred percent. A picture is worth a thousand words. And this book is full of pictures. Yeah. Well, graphic novels in and of themselves are completely underappreciated as a genre anyway. So, but they've also really been targeted for a lot of burning as well. Comics and graphic novels are also highly targeted for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything that has to do with magic or, you know, like how many times have we seen that Harry Potter has been on the challenge list? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. The second book that I picked for my stack is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, which is not only taught in my school district as a ninth grade book. Um, no, as a 10th grade book. It's taught as a 10th grade book in my district, but I was taught it as a ninth grade book. So when I was in ninth grade, it was a book that I got to enjoy. And it was one of the few books that I really enjoyed in high school. And it was published in 1960. So it's right in the heat of the civil rights movement. It was very timely when it, when it came out, but everyone threw up all of these flags about, you know, racist language and the plot centering around allegations of rape, but that's not what I focused on when I read it as a, as a a teenager. And when I went back and read it as an adult, that's not what I focused on. It felt authentic it felt real. And some people that, that come in and say, well, there's a, you know, racial slurs and, and Atticus Finch is a white savior. And, you know, it's, it's not a good book because it's just, you know, the white guys trying to save everybody. Well, in the 1960s there, you know, again, like with, when I was referencing mouse where these, these, you know, power structures and feelings of helpness, helplessness, sometimes you need a, a white ally, you know? Yeah. And I didn't see what he was. I didn't see Atticus Finch as a white savior. I saw him as an ally who was doing the right thing, even though it was an incredibly hard thing to do when people were fighting him. And he was very much standing alone in his fight to do what was right to save Tom from being killed for a rape he didn't commit. Um, But when I read that as a ninth grader, I even understood that. Like, this is not an attack on a race. This is not an attack on trying to make one race look better than the other or, you know, glorifying rape. It was this horrible thing happened. And then this other horrible thing happened as a result of it. And a man was put to death despite his best efforts to try to stop it. And I, I mean, as a ninth grader, I understood what it was about. I, I took that away from it. And I think that if people stop taking ideas out of context, that they would be able to 
see that the, the whole book was about doing the right thing, even if you're standing alone. And I think that's probably what makes people so uncomfortable is it's doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do, regardless of the consequences you know you're going to have to face because you're following your own moral compass. Absolutely. And what a scary ha- or scary like thing to teach kids when maybe you already know you're not doing the right thing and you maybe don't want those kids to point that out. Right. <laughs> do what like I say, that's... not what I do, right? Yeah. Like speaking back to our book ban and subject, I think that that's a lot of the that's a lot of the issue that's going on right now is that people are taking these books out of context. They're reading one page and yeah. saying, oh, it must be banned because of that one page. When if you look at the entirety of the book, like to Kim or if you look at the entirety of the story and the character, you wouldn't find the same thing that you did. And I think that's exactly what's going on right now. Yeah. And I almost think it's deliberate. Oh, I need to find something to be offended against or, right. you know, I've been told this is bad because a lot of people who are challenging these have not actually read them. Agreed. So, I yeah. Agree. The last book in my stack that I wanted to bring up and have a conversation with you all about is The Diary of Anne Frank. I think it's, it was a staple in our education. I know it was in mine. I taught it when I was teaching junior high. I taught it to uh, seventh graders. And just like across the country, I had parents complain about the sexual material and the homosexual themes. There is, in the entirety of the book, there is, there is one section I, I cut out, like a, a four-page section to appease the parents, just because I wasn't going to lose my job for it. Um, she has a dream about her best friend that she doesn't know whether she's alive or dead. And in the dream, it's very much a a homoerotic dream about her best friend. She put it in a diary. This was not something that was ever supposed to be published. This was not something that was ever supposed to be public knowledge. It was her in a very confined place, putting these very intimate thoughts in the one place that she thought was safe and they happen to be printed now. And people are upset that she had these thoughts at all, but coming of age means that you're questioning and you're coming of age. And a lot of the kids reading this book at this time are questioning and coming of age. And if they can't see that it's something that other people have also thought about and experienced and gone through, regardless of which side they realize that they're a part of, um, either, you know, part of the LGBTQ era or, or side or, you know they're cisgendered whatever side that is when they if they don't think about it they don't process it I don't know how many times I've had kids that have gone all the way through high school and then came out of high school going oh actually I I'm gay and I'm like yeah I knew that back in seventh grade like I, I, I've known that for years, I, but it, I'm so sorry that it took you six years to realize what you, what you've been processing. So it's having that parent, same space. As a parent and a teacher, I can't imagine a world without books. Like I use them with my own kids because I've got a 12 year old who is going through these things and I can't even imagine a world where I couldn't say, hey, this person is going through that stuff. Why don't you read this? Hey, this person in this fictional world, sure, but it's the same idea. Hey, you need help uh, learning how to organize your life. Look at this, look at what this character did. It just, 
all those stories and all those experiences, whether they're true or not, just help so much in speaking to these kids and whatever and even, they're going through. Even if it's a fictional person that they're reading about, the person that wrote it must have some kind of context to have written about it in the first place. That's true. And yeah. being a teenager is really, you feel pretty isolated. Yeah, you might have a big circle of friends or not, but you still feel kind of like you're on your own and you're having these unique things that nobody else is possibly experiencing. And you see it in a book, in a journal entry that, you know what? There's probably kids who have written about that stuff because it's your dreams. Your dreams do their own thing. They do. And they help you process. And I think beyond just processing it, it then shows these kids that, hey, if they read about this problem that they were going through in this book, then they can write about another problem and maybe reach out to another kid. Yeah. Yeah. I think it helps them process and it also helps them learn how to share and how to communicate and maybe help somebody else. Definitely. I agree. That Nia started with uh, children's books that Sydney, you went to uh, middle grade or the three books that I chose came from a list that Sydney gave me. And when I got the list, I thought, hey, I know some of those books. Oh, the um, list I gave you from the books that were challenged in my district. Oh, there you go. Uh, that was that was they, the list. That was the list that I pulled. That was those were the books okay. that were that were parents were up in arms at my district for. Yeah. And that's in Utah, right? Yeah, that is in Utah. Okay. So some of them I was surprised at, other ones I wasn't. Um, but the first one that I chose is Monday's Not Coming, and it was by Tiffany D. Jackson. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Tiffany D. Jackson, I suggest reading all of her all of her books in one weekend because they're amazing. Um, but this was her second book. And in the book, uh, there's a character named Claudia, and she realizes that her best friend Monday has gone missing. And no one, none of the adults in her life are answering the questions that she has, that Claudia has. And she keeps asking and asking, and people are just kind of avoiding her questions uh, to the point where she thinks that maybe she is having problems remembering things. Maybe there's something, maybe her memory is not serving her as it should. And she starts to question her own experiences. Um, I'm really not sure why Monday's Not Coming is banned. Uh, I, when that, I saw that one on the list and thought, well, that's an interesting choice. So I actually had to look up why. Um, my perception is that Monday's Not Coming isn't any worse than some of the true crime that these kids are reading and it's a fictional story. So I was really surprised, uh, but it was challenged, I had to look this up again, and it was challenged due to violence against women and sexual acts in the classroom, which I don't remember any of that stuff happening at all. Uh, I do remember that Monday's uh, disappearance is a little bit traumatic, but again, these kids are accessing much worse stuff on their own time than what they're finding in the library. Uh, what I found valuable about this book is that it really goes into mental health for kids and what Claudia is going through and how she starts to question her own experiences and how the adults deal with her memories and how to help her. Um, some of the adults do a really good job and some of them don't, but I think it's valuable just in the idea that it talks about mental health within uh, young high school kids. So yeah, I was surprised by that. <laughs> 
Which is such a um, huge topic. Yeah, that's health for teenagers is really, really important. There, there are so many issues right now where kids are, I think partly because we're not showing them that it's okay to be processing. Yeah. That they're, they don't know how to process when they're feeling anxious. Yeah. And they start talking about, well, I'm, I'm having anxiety. I'm having a panic attack. No, you're having feelings of anxiousness. Let me show you how to work through those. Like there is, I mean, I'm not and discounting. All of those things feelings, are discussed in this Teaching book. those processing techniques and coping mechanisms. Yeah. And all of those things are in here. And Claudia goes about it the wrong way sometimes. Not the wrong way, her processing. She goes about it, I shouldn't say that, as, a, as an immature, underdeveloped child. Which is and it's good for kids to see that, hey, I'm going through this the best way I know how, and someone else is doing it the best way they know how, and it's not like a 34-year-old would do it. I think that that just speaks to the writing that they, yeah, that they wrote it the way that it would actually happen. Because there, how many times have we looked at teenagers been like, what were you thinking? And they were not, you know, that frontal lobe shut off. Yeah, they were right. they were doing they weren't thinking they were doing absolutely what else do you have for us annie they were just doing yeah okay so my next book is the 57 bus by Dashka slater and this one it seems to go on and off of banned books lists it's on for a little bit and then it goes off for a little bit and then goes back on um but this is a true story about two teenagers and a bus ride one of them is a white teen who identified as genderqueer, and the other one is a black teen. Um, and then Richard, the black teen, his cousin, uh, he just gets an idea because they're teenagers, and he says, hey, why don't you light Sasha's skirt on fire? And so he does. And then Sasha, throughout the book, is left to heal from these insane burns up and down his legs. And Richard then ends up in jail. Uh, because there's a question of, is this a hate crime or is it a teenager making a choice? Uh, and the reason why this continues to pop up on banned books list is because it presents LGBTQ plus themes, presents them. Um, and there's a little bit of violence in, you know, lighting someone on fire. Um, I think this is a super, super, super helpful book. Uh, I think in chapter two, it goes through all the terms for the gender spectrum. And it just gives the term and the definition, the term, the definition, the term, the definition. And that is just super helpful for these kids whose friends themselves, family members are identifying on this spectrum that they're given the definition. And this book, so Dashka Slater is a, she's a journalist who's written for the New York Times. And so she presents the 57 bus as factual, which it is, and just informational. Uh, so I think it's a super, super helpful book. And when I had this in the classroom, a lot of students liked it because it's a story that's ongoing. Um, you know, Richard is still going through stuff and Sasha is still going through stuff. And so I think it's a very valuable book to have really fascinating yeah. I, I think it's I think it's even more fascinating that it is a true story and that it yeah it took place in Oakland California oh just throwing that out there yeah cool in like 2015 or something oh so this is super recent wow mm -hmm. 
it's super recent yeah like Richard I should have written down more and I apologize I'll do more fact checking next time um I know when it happened they were both underage and I'm pretty sure Richard is still in jail I he's either like 18 or 19 so this is wow. super recent and it the book wow. is more a uh look at the justice system than the LGBTQ plus but mm -hmm. because that's there people have decided it is inappropriate for the children well, and that's been LGBTQ, uh, IA plus, all of that has been the top reason for challenges, I think, the last several years. I, yeah. I um, believe I've, I've read that as well. I think it was, yeah, it was uh, more yeah. than 50%. I think when I was, when I was doing some research as well, it was yeah. more than 50% over the last, um, I think it was, I was looking at the last three years when I was looking it up, um, but it was more than 50% of the issue each time, yeah. which is fascinating and discouraging to kids who are going through that and feel very alone. Definitely. And you had one last book in your stack for us, right? I did. And I'm so excited about this one. This book is one of my favorite books. Uh, it's called Beyond Magenta and it's Transgender Teens Speak Out. It's by Susan Cucklin. Uh, I hate to say it, but this one is going to continue being on banned books lists forever uh, mm -hmm. because people continue to have issues about it and that is so sad so it was uh I honestly got excited when this was on your list Sydney because that meant I got to talk about it um so <laughs> so it was written in 2014 and I'm pretty sure it's been challenged since 2014 pretty sure uh, it, it interviews with pictures of six transgender or gender neutral young adults uh, the stories are very honest. They start with when these individuals first felt different from others of their gender, uh, and it goes into their family dynamics, and it also goes into where they are now. Um, it's been challenged for being anti-family. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. Yep. Even though it goes into their family dynamics, it's still anti-family. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because Sorry. Of portrayal of LGBTQ plus themes, again, they're present so yeah it has also been challenged because it's biased uh i yeah i feel the same way sydney your quizzical face uh, says it all so hey. <laughs> it is biased towards these individuals ending up okay so are are we biased towards people not being in unhealthy positions are we biased towards them not taking their own lives because they feel completely alone and abandoned like it is biased because yeah. they these individuals came out on top that they came to terms with their families and some of them don't even reconcile with their families in the end you know some of uh, them still have issues okay. with their families but it's still biased that this is an okay thing to go through and you can handle it heaven forbid we teach kids uh -huh. that they can process and work through something yep. and be true to themselves good lord so right. i i included this book in a li choice list a couple of years ago in my classroom i can't remember what the list was uh nonfiction. that's what it was and i included this because i thought you know it's really it's written really well the pictures are very helpful just the setup the structure is really good um but it also i felt this was something that my students really needed that they could benefit from they didn't have to read the book but since I've included it in my classroom, it is never on my shelves. Mm -hmm. And I actually That's had a amazing. student 
I asked her, she was reading it consistently. This was like two years ago, but not taking it home. And I asked her, I said, you know, you can, you can take this home. And she said, uh, my parents wouldn't approve of me taking this home. And I thought, oh, that's just awful. That's just awful. Yeah, it is. Well, and I, I said, you are more than welcome to read this book. I'll leave it here for you. And she finished it in like a week, but she never took it home. Wow. That was something we found um, working in public libraries in Utah. You would look at when you when you keep stuff on the shelf, a lot of times you look at the statistics. Okay, is it actually moving? Is it going places? And you'd have books like this one and other LGBTQIA books that didn't have high checkout numbers, but the books were hammered. I mean, the wear on them did not match the numbers that were showing in the computers as being checked out. And a lot of public libraries are doing this too, where you, you look at how much it's getting handled in the branch for that reason, because kids don't feel comfortable taking it home, but they do feel comfortable reading it in the library where they, maybe they can stick it behind something else or no one's paying any attention because it's sitting flat and they're in the library reading. What could they possibly be reading? Or they're, they're doing homework and because they can't take it home, which just yeah. drives home all the more reason why we need to have these accessible and available. And that one, I actually did look up the statistic. It is in the top 100 most banned books at number 27. That's fascinating. So, yep. So yeah, I have, I, oh, I have that on my personal bookshelves, but I do not have it uh, on my school bookshelves anymore. Um, they don't keep it stocked at my school library, even though really? I'm the one that brought it into the campus. Uh, I'm the only one that has a copy on campus. Our library doesn't have it because it's been brought up so many times in our community. And so if kids want it, I'm the only place they can get it on campus. Wow. That's yeah. crazy and sad. Yeah, and, and I have a like, and sad. my school librarian is very helpful, but she yeah. even said this is one that that we can't have. I mean, it, so it, yeah, the list that that Annie is referencing, um, the district that I work for had nine books that were challenged by a small but vocal conservative parent group that came out, and um, of the nine books they were challenging, I, I think it was. Uh, seven of them were for LGBTQ themes. And one of them, well, all three of them were on Annie's list that she provided. And a number of my students felt very strongly about the challenging of these books and went to a board meeting and spoke out against the, the pulling of these books from the shelves. And one of my kids said to the entire board, all you're doing by challenging and banning these books is making them more desirable for students to put in their hands. No one was seeking out these books until you told us we couldn't read them. And now all of us are going out and trying to find the books to read them. Since Mouse was challenged and um, tried to be banned recently, earlier, a couple of weeks ago, it is completely sold out on Amazon. It's completely sold out on Barnes and Noble. It is completely sold out at every bookstore because everyone's like, oh, mouse is banned. I must know why. And they go out and buy the book. It's an amazing the, book. Everyone should read it. You will be better for it. I agree. Well, I think all nine of the books that we've referenced today are phenomenal books that people are better for reading. Definitely. I don't think and that there is any book that is that makes you worse for having read it because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, 
you've still gone through an experience and you can either decide whether you agreed with the choices that they made or not, or if you associate with the character or not. But at the end of the day, it should be your choice, not someone else's. Definitely. And if you pick up something and you don't like it, there's nothing wrong with that either. It's very true. Nothing says you have to keep finishing the book. No. And, but you shouldn't be able to dictate what other people read too, but it's a lot of these too. If you pick them up because yeah, I need to read these because it's banned and you start to pick it up and go, I don't like it. There's nothing wrong with that. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you're against the book or against the information. And it just means that you didn't like it. Yeah. And that's okay. It doesn't make you any kind of person other than someone who doesn't have time for stuff. They don't want to read life is too short to read stuff you don't like it's true but it's also I mean there are also times where being uncomfortable reading something can help you grow as a human reading I know why the cage bird sings by Maya Angelou also on the banned books list Mm -hmm. is an incredibly incredibly powerful true story of Maya Angelou's life growing up as Angelique Johnson and is that no, Marguerite, Marguerite Johnson is her, is her actual name. Um, but she was raped by her mother's boyfriend at the age of seven. And when she told her brother about it and it ended up, the guy went to jail and then ended up being killed in jail. And she thought that she was responsible for his death. So she didn't speak to anyone for four years. Oof. And it's her telling the story of finding her voice again. And she was that caged bird and this is, you know, how she found her voice again and how she pulled herself out of it. And some of the, some of the stories that, that she tells with how her grandmother who raised her after all of that happened, how she was treated and some of that stuff, it's a hard read, but am I better for having read it? Absolutely. Do I better understand what some of the people, when they speak about hardships actually go through? Yes. And I wouldn't have known that otherwise. And I think that we become better human beings for having empathy when we can't understand someone else's experience, but we can realize that 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 was horrible. And what can I do to help make it so it doesn't happen again? You know, I I know what I am, right? I know I am a middle-aged white woman. I am with four kids in a nuclear family living in Texas. I am what I am. There's nothing I can do about that. And there isn't necessarily anything I want to do about it. But I can gain that empathy. I can learn about other people and I can be a better person by reading about other people's experiences. I think reading those experiences is the best way to, and internalizing them is the best way to really empathize and see someone else's world. I agree. And it's when you look at it with that perspective, especially the ones that we're seeing banned, I mean, that's, we're seeing some pretty scary undertones of, oh, we don't want the perspective of what it's like to be assaulted. We don't want, I mean, no no one should ever have to go through it, but it's almost silencing those voices. It's silencing voices from the Holocaust. I mean, it's really scary. We're seeing that right now too. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of, oh, we can't talk about race which is another really big one. Uh, That was another one of the primary reasons for things getting banned last year too, was Black Lives Matter. And people need to be paying attention. What are we trying to silence? We're trying to silence these other voices that have very poignant things to say. Why are we trying to silence them? I mean, that's a pretty scary thing to think about. 
I think I hadn't thought about it that way. Thank you. Yeah. That's a, that's a, I love that. I think it's, I think it just comes down to deciding, acknowledging, recognizing that every voice does matter and should matter and is equally important. No one's voice should be louder than anyone else's. We should all have our equal say as we sit here recording a podcast with very loud voices. (laughs) Right. We, we also allowing other people to have that space, to have that voice does not take away from someone else's too. That's true. So that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's transition. I mean, we've, (laughs) we've been in a very heavy topic (laughs) for a a hot minute and I, (laughs) which working through something and, and talking about it is the best way to process. Right. Right. But let's, let's transition and talk about either what we're reading right now or what we are going to pick up next. Like what's next on our list. Nia, let's go ahead and start with you. What are you reading right now? Uh, I'm still working on the master switch by Tim Wu. And uh, I have the audiobook for Dune lined up and ready to go when I can separate my brain out from what I have to focus on. Cause I can't write and uh, listen to an audiobook at the same time. My brain does not do that. So, but that is up on the docket. You are going to love it. You are, you are going to love it. It is such a I, phenomenal audiobook. I feel like I forward. should, I feel like I should add that to my list and then we can have a special edition of everybody talks. Everyone Dune. talks about Dune. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the book was awesome. It's been a long time since I've read it, but I am looking forward. I love a good, I love a good audiobook. That's, that's all like high production. Oh, I love it. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> phenomenal. What are you reading? So I am, I am still in the middle of the two books that I was, that I have been working on, which is uh, Power and Thrones and Dune. Uh, but next <laughs> up on my list, my, my next book that is sitting and waiting for me eagerly is Daughter of the Deep, which is a Rick Riordan book. I just, I love his writing. He is such a phenomenal writer with such great characterization. And it's a new mythology that I have not yet experienced because it's a brand new book in a brand new series and I am super excited to dive back into his world what world is that oh sorry like what mythology does it follow yes um this one is I wasn't focusing on that for this podcast I'm sorry because I well I'll go ahead and talk about mine then and we'll come back to that okay I'll 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 come back to me okay tell me about your books Annie um, I finished the boys, uh, Clint and Ron Howard's memoir. I finished that this week and it was fabulous. So I've moved on. Um, and now I'm working on Gilded by Marissa Meyer and the dressmakers of Auschwitz. I know I said that wrong. And I kept doing the Google to tell me how to say it. And I apologize. Uh, and that's by Lucy Adlington. Uh, yeah. It just came out. So i'm excited that one that one looks really interesting so let me know how that one goes because i'm really interested in that one very information heavy um daughters of the deep for those of you that are curious is rick riordan's modern take on Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea oh that's different okay yeah okay i just i i see his name and at this point i mean there's been a couple of his series that have been like eh, they were fine but most of the time when I, when I read his books, I get so into his characterizations and his, the comedy that he puts into his writing that as soon as I see a book, I just order it. 
like I just have it on a like I get alerts when a new book comes out and I just click pre-order I have so a few there, authors like that there too. are a lot of times where I'll get a book and be like cool I have no idea what this book is about but I'm excited to try it <laughs> I know who wrote it it can't be that bad it's gonna be fine <laughs> and if it is I won't be that worse off because I still read a book exactly 100% well friends thank you so much to listening for listening to this episode of the book stack as we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought, and we'll see you next time. But remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bookstack Trio and find us at Bookstack Trio on Instagram. Books won't stay banned. They won't burn. Ideas won't go to jail. In the long run of history, the censor and the inquisitor have always lost. The only sure weapon against bad ideas is better ideas. The source of better ideas is wisdom. The surest path to wisdom is a liberal education. Alfred Whitney Griswold. Good night, friends.